Well, it's good to be in church on Wednesday night. Amen. Amen. Uh, it just seems like it has gone by very, very quickly. For us, anyway, it's gone by very, very quickly. And we have enjoyed being with you folks, uh, as we always do, and look forward to, to coming back again someday. If you'll allow us to come back, uh, we, will, uh, we will enjoy having that on the calendar on down the road. Um, my, if you saw my wife and son laughing at me down there during the offertory, it's because they knew that I forgot where I was right in the middle of it. And, and what happened is I couldn't remember if I was on the chorus or the verse. And then I was looking to see if the ushers were done and I wasn't sure if they were done. And, and now that I'm old, Brother Carpenter, I can't allow too many thoughts to go through my mind at the same time. I have to, <laughs> I have to minimize the number that's going through there or else they all get jumbled up in a knot. And what happens is what happened tonight. And, and my family laughs at me when that happens. You pray for me. I'm under persecution. <laughs> Thank you for being in the house of God tonight. Take your Bible, if you would, and open it up to the book of Philippians chapter 2. And when you find that, would you stand with me as we read the word of God tonight? Philippians chapter number 2. Last night we stopped reading in verse number 16, so it's only fitting and proper that we should begin reading in verse 17 tonight. It says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that no matter where we are and what's going on, when we say God has been good, it's always true, always true, without exception. And tonight, Lord, we ask that you'd help us as we look into your word. Help us to apply it to our hearts and lives and receive what you have for us tonight. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I decided several years ago, well, it's been uh, three or four years ago now, that I was going to preach all the way through a book of the Bible. You said, well, that's not such a big deal. 
Pastors do that all the time. Yes, pastors do that all the time. Evangelists don't do that very often. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of ministry, and you tend to focus more on topical things and, and subject matters, and, and I'd been doing that for a long, long time, and I just felt like it would be good for me to go through an entire book of the Bible without skipping anything and preach the whole book. And since we are in a different place every week, I decided that I would start and wherever we were, that's where I would pick it up and I would just keep going. No matter what, we were going to pick it up and keep going. And, and it took longer than I imagined because some, some meetings, some services lent themselves more to certain things and uh, some were just not a situation where you'd want to pick something up in the middle of the subject matter and go on. And, and so it took a while and I finally made it all the way through the book of Philippians. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a, a wonderful little book. But when I got to this passage, when I got down through verse 16, where we stopped last night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess now and tell you a preacher's secret. I read the verses we just read, and I said to myself, there's nothing there. And so, in time-tested fashion, I skipped over that part of the chapter, and I started chapter 3, because chapter 3 is a wonderful chapter. Chapter 3 is full of great stuff, just like the first two-thirds of chapter 2. It's just that last chunk of chapter 2. I read that. I said, there's just nothing there. It's housekeeping stuff between the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi. And, you know, I want to send Timothy. Can't do it right now. Uh, can't send anybody else. I'm going to send this guy Epaphroditus. And uh, he got sick when he came this way. I'm sending him back. Be nice to him when he shows up. There's not much there. Just not much there. And what I learned years ago is that when any great Bible teacher or professor comes to a passage they don't find anything in they simply skip over it that's what they do go go look up a commentary somewhere I mean the best commentary you can find and then find a really tricky passage of scripture you know what you'll find the rascal just jumps right over the thing that's what he does they just, I mean, without fail, they just jump right over it. Oh, they might write it in there, but they're not talking about it. They just jump right over it. I thought, hey, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And then I got all the way done with Philippians chapter 4. Wonderful chapter, wonderful chapter. And suddenly I began to feel guilty. that I left out a third of a chapter right in the middle and then I really felt bad. I thought, you know, God, I, I, listen, I believe with all my heart, God didn't put anything in the Bible just as filler. There's nothing in there that's just a, a, to fill up space and cover some pages. Everything in there is the Word of God, and there's something in there for us. And so I went back, and I read it again and again and again. And, and I, just, I said, Lord, there's got to be something in there. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, there's something in there. And so tonight I'm going to preach to you out of this passage. I know what you were thinking. As we're reading the verses, every night as we've read the verses, you've thought to yourself, what's he preaching on tonight? And you tried to guess what the subject matter was, and you narrowed it down by the verses. Tonight you're, you started that way, and then you thought, no, not that. And then we got a little further, and you thought, no, not that. We got down to the end, and you said to yourself, there's nothing there. That's what you said. Amen. <laughs> but tonight I'm going to preach to you on this subject. Three kinds of workers. And you're probably in here. 
you're probably here. Look, if you would, down here at verse number 19. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. The first guy, the first kind, Timothy. Everybody knows about Timothy. Timothy is a fine young man. He gets saved young. As a matter of fact, he's referred to by Paul as his son in the faith over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, over in Acts chapter 16, uh, they're together. It's an exciting thing. Timothy gets saved young. He grows up in a house where his mother and grandmother teach him the scriptures from the time he's a little boy. Now, whether he got saved when the Apostle Paul came through or whether he got saved uh, through the work of his mother and grandmother, who got saved under the Apostle Paul, doesn't really matter the particulars of that. Paul considers him to be his son in the faith. And he is. And he grows up. And when the Apostle Paul comes back through, Timothy is ready to serve God. I mean, he's prepared, and Paul says, why don't you come with me? And Timothy says, that's what I've been waiting for all my life. And he takes off with the Apostle Paul and spends his adult life being mentored, if you will, by the Apostle Paul before he goes off into ministry on his own. He gets a wonderful privilege. He gets to be there next to the Apostle Paul. He gets to see what he does. He gets to hear what he says. And he may have gotten to peek over his shoulder as to what the Apostle Paul was writing. You see, Timothy was there when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote the book of Philippians. He was also there when 2 Corinthians was written. He was there when Colossians was written, when 1 and 2 Thessalonians were written. When the little book of Philemon was written down for the first time, Timothy was somewhere in the vicinity. And you just have to wonder if maybe after a, after a long day when everybody's ready to, ready to shut off the candle and go to bed, if maybe Timothy got to take a little peek once in a while at what was there and see the Word of God before anybody else. Wouldn't that be exciting? What a wonderful privilege that would have been. And that's Timothy. He gets saved young. He's got a godly background. He has the privilege of working with the Apostle Paul. But his life is not perfect. He's got some issues, some problems. Look, if you would, at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to have you turn to several places in your Bible tonight, but that's always a good thing to do. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. Look, if you would, at verse 23. As the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who now is on ministry on his own, he says in verse 23, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Now, every boozer knows that verse. They just, they just misapply it, that's all. You, all you have to do is look at the context, and you know that what he's talking about here is medicinal. And whether it was whatever kind of wine you want to talk about or say it was, or it doesn't really matter because what he's talking about is for medicinal purposes. You see, the issue here is that Timothy evidently has some kind of ongoing problem. Some kind of, whether it's a, an intestinal thing, a digestive thing, whatever it is. You remember the Apostle Paul had the thorn in the flesh. And he asked God to remove it multiple times and God never did remove it from him. It appears that Timothy also has something physical that's plaguing him. And so God, through the Apostle Paul there in 1 Timothy 5, says, take care of it. 
take care of it. Don't cut your ministry short by not tending to your physical needs. Make sure that you do that. So there's, there's good evidence there that Timothy has some physical issues that probably have plagued him throughout his life, just like Paul had. John Maxwell, a motivational speaker, wrote in his book called Developing the Leaders Around You and said this, Most of the significant things done in the world were done by persons who were either too busy or too sick to do them. You stop and think about that and you'll find that it's true. The great inventions that have transformed our lives, many times they were, they were discovered by someone who had enough issues and problems in their lives that we would have given them a free pass if they just quit, if they just stopped. I think it's, it's not really disputed that one of Beethoven's greatest works was written after he lost his hearing. Nobody would have, would have faulted him if he had stopped composing when he lost his hearing. We would have said, it's all right. You've written plenty and it's wonderful. It's okay. Leave it alone. But he kept going. And the same thing is true if you look at ministry through the years. A lot of the missionaries that have done the most on foreign fields for the work of God, we would have said to them decades before they ever left this life, we would have said, you've done enough, you can quit now. You've, you've buried your wife, you've buried your children, just come home and find a church and pastor, but they stayed. And they did great works for God that still have lasting consequences decades and decades later. Quite often, we give up too quickly. And we have a little problem or we have a difficulty and we think that must mean that God wants me to stop. No, sometimes it means God wants to show himself strong and allow you to keep doing what you need to do. Even though you've got some kind of difficulty or some kind of problem. You see, Timothy is the perfect church member. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. He loves God. He loves to serve God. Timothy is going to show up Unless he's dead, he's showing up. And then he'll find somebody to come before he dies. He'll find somebody to fill in. Timothy does not call on Sunday morning, 10 minutes before Sunday school, and tell the preacher he's not going to be there to teach his class. Timothy doesn't do that. That would not even enter his mind. He is going to drag himself in there, and he is going to do the job no matter what. Every pastor wants a whole church full of Timothys. And if you're a Timothy, and, and listen, I know, I know some of you folks, and I know that there are some Timothys sitting in here right now. There are, there are a good number of Timothys sitting right here that have exactly the same heart and the same drive and the same commitment that Timothy had. Let me just say to you, keep it up. Keep it up. But there's a second guy. The second guy is Epaphroditus. Look, if you would, down here in verse 25. Verse 25, Philippians chapter 2. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Now Epaphroditus is a, a wonderful servant of God. He said he's your messenger. You find out over in chapter 4 that the, the uh, beginning of this book, the reason for the book is that 
the church at Philippi has sent some things to care for the needs of Paul while he is imprisoned in Rome. You see, the, the prison system, if you will, in Rome was not like our prison system. We do our best to try to be humane. You know, we, we guarantee, you know, you're going to be fed. You're going to have a place to sleep. We'll take care of your medical needs. There's even uh, opportunities for, you know, personal enrichment and continuing education and all kinds of things. The Romans were not really, con- they were not really concerned with all of that. You know, as a general rule, if you got thrown into the, uh, I mean, into the lowest prison, they didn't care if you ate or you didn't eat or if you got sick or you died. They just didn't care. And if you died, it just saved them the trouble of executing you later because if you were in there, they were going to execute you. It was just a matter of time. So they were not concerned about all that. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he can't leave there, and he's chained to the the guard, and, and he needs some things. So the church at Philippi gets together a care package, if you will, and and sends it to the Apostle Paul. And somebody has to take it from Philippi all the way to Rome. And Epaphroditus says, I'll do it. You see, Timothy is this young man who gets saved young, grows up under the word of God, serves God. He's steady. He's faithful. He's solid. You can depend on him for everything. Epaphroditus doesn't have that same background. We don't know much about this man, Epaphroditus, but we do know his name. His name is made up of two parts. The first part is the prefix, the EP part, the EP. And they tell us that that little prefix, uh, that means belonging to. Now, look in your Bible in verse 25 and cover up the little EP at the beginning of his name. And do you see what you have left? You have the pagan goddess Aphrodite left. That's what you have. So what we know about Epaphroditus is that he did not get saved young. He did not grow up in a godly family. He didn't have that influence. He didn't have that background. As a matter of fact, he grew up in a pagan family that worshipped the goddess Aphrodite, a wicked, vile, pagan goddess. So much so that when their little boy was born, They named him after the goddess and said, belonging to Aphrodite. But somewhere along the line, he gets saved. And now his name might say he belongs to Aphrodite, but he doesn't belong to Aphrodite. He belongs to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And he's, because probably of his background where he gets saved older and he's saved out of paganism and heathenism, listen, he is so excited, he just can't stand it. He's bouncing off the walls. Uh, He's not the steady, plodding, faithful Timothy. Oh, no, no. He's the guy that wants to do something for Jesus. Preacher, tell me, what what should I do? Tell me what to do for Jesus. Uh, Can I go stand on the corner and and yell at cars and preach? Uh, uh, Can I do it? Can I please do it? Can I take tracts? Can I go hand them out everywhere in the neighborhood? Can I, can I, can I, can I? And and that's Epaphroditus. I mean, he is bouncing off the walls and he's looking for something to do. And when they said, we have this package that has to go to Rome, he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. They said, all right, go ahead. And he took it and he was so excited that he didn't take care of himself on the trip. Did did your mother ever tell you when you were young, you know, you were going outside and she said, put your coat on. You're going to catch your death of cold. My mother said that. Every mother says that somewhere along the line. Never happened, but 
We did it, you know, and uh, we would, listen, I grew up in Alaska, spent all my life in Alaska. We would run outside <laughs> barefoot in the snow, and, and mom, mom was sure we were going to die. We were, we were all going to die because we went out barefoot in the snow. And she was constantly, put your shoes on, put your coat on, put your mittens on, do all that stuff. Well, I'm sure Epaphroditus' mother said all that too, but he's so excited when he gets to take the package, I, I just imagine he leaves his coat back at the house. And, and somewhere along the line, he gets sick. I mean, he catches something and he gets sick and he gets really sick, so sick that they think he's going to die. But God delivers him, heals him. And, and Paul says how glad he is that he's healed. You say, well, now this Epaphroditus guy, he sounds like kind of a goofball. No, 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 he's not a goofball. Look at what he says in verse 25. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. Listen, when the Apostle Paul says he's my companion in labor and my fellow soldier, you're not a goofball. That's not a goofball. Oh, no, this is a guy who's excited about being a new creature in Christ. But this is a guy who loves God with all of his heart. There are those in every church and there ought to be. Amen. There ought to be. And it's wonderful. Now, a whole church full of Timothys can get really boring really fast. Because Timothy's are solid and steady and, and not excitable. And they're just there. And they are so faithful that sometimes they'll even be faithful when they don't want to be. And they'll show up and, with a bad attitude and go ahead and do their ministry anyway because it's the right thing to do. And, and they need an Epaphroditus to come along and light a fire under them and get them all excited. And listen, you've got to have Epaphroditus. You do. It keeps things from dying on you. And the, and the Timothy needs the Epaphroditus, but the Epaphroditus needs the Timothy. Because somebody has to say to Epaphroditus, you can't put tracks in people's mailboxes, Epaphroditus. You can't do that. I'll go out with you. We'll pass out tracks, but you can't put them in the mailbox. That's illegal. Can't do that. And you've got to kind of help him a little bit. And they need each other. And Epaphroditus keeps Timothy excited and serving God. And Timothy keeps Epaphroditus from doing something stupid and ending up in jail. And they work together for the cause of Christ. Can I just say, if you're an Epaphroditus, keep it up. Keep it up. Stay excited. Listen, just because somebody else is not quite as excited as you doesn't mean that they don't love God just as much as you do. You just, you just overlook the fact that they might not be quite as enthusiastic and you just let her rip. Amen? Amen? Go right ahead. You just stay excited and you grab a Timothy every once in a while and say, come with me. I want to go witness to this guy. Come with me. I want to pass out some tracks today. And, and trust me, it'll be to the benefit of both of you. But then there's a third kind. There's a third group in here, and they, they exist in every church, in every ministry, and we don't have their names, and I think that's the mercy of God that we don't have their names, but they're in verse 20 and 21. Look at verse 20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. That's a sad couple of verses, isn't it? 
He said, I'd like to send Timothy because I know what Timothy will do. I trust Timothy. I'm going to send Epaphroditus. He's going to bring this letter back to you and he's going to do that. But then there are some others that I can't send. It's just not possible. They're, they, they have a different mindset. Remember it said in verse number two that we should be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He said, these are not like-minded. They're not willing to care for others. They don't look on the things of others. They only look on their own things and their own benefit. They seek their own, according to verse number 21. According to chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, they mind earthly things. They're so wrapped up in this world and the busyness of this life that they just don't have time to be of service to God. He said, I can't send them. They won't go. They're not interested. They don't want to do that. And they wouldn't do it if they could. Probably the greatest disappointment in any ministry is, is seeing someone that you've, that you've taught the word of God and you've invested your life in and, and they're growing and they're learning and then they get caught up in stuff in the world and they wander out there and, and they're gone. That's probably one of the biggest disappointments any pastor has and anyone that has to deal with people. And there are people, listen, that's not something that's just happened in the last 50 years or 100 years. That was happening back here. There were people all the way back here who got to hear the Apostle Paul preach, who got to see amazing things, who still got caught up in the world around them and wandered away from what they knew, what, what they knew was right. But here's what I want you to know about that tonight. Just because someone is not serving God tonight, and I know you could probably look around you and you could probably see and name for me some people who should be sitting in your row or should be sitting here, who once were here with open Bibles, who are not here tonight. I'm sure you could name some of those. It's true in every church everywhere. But here's what I want you to know. Just because they're not serving God right now doesn't mean they won't be down the road. Don't give up on people before God does. Don't do that. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. The other night we were in Acts chapter 16. And we saw in Acts chapter 16... Uh, the church at Philippi and some of the folks who'd gotten saved and, uh, and were influenced by the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But look, if you would, at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, it doesn't take long to read those few little verses. 
But that's a that's an ugly passage of scripture. It really is. Because you have two wonderful men of God whose desire is to serve God, see people saved, plant churches. That's what they've been doing together for a long time now. And Paul and Barnabas said, hey, what we need to do is go back and visit some of those places we've been and strengthen those people and encourage those churches. Let's do that. They agreed that would be the thing to do. And Barnabas said, let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, no. Last time we took him, he left halfway through the trip. I'm not taking him again. Not going to do it. And Barnabas said, he's different now. Uh, he's, he's in a better condition now. We should take him. And Paul said, if he's going, I'm not going. So it wasn't really a big problem. The Bible says it was a big problem. Said the contention was so sharp between them that they parted ways and went opposite directions. You mean two men who love God could disagree with each other so severely that they turn and go opposite directions? <laughs> yes. Yes, that can happen. But the wonderful thing about our God is this, that he can even use the foolishness of men to accomplish his purposes. Do you know what happens in chapter 16? I mean, it's the part that we didn't read the other night. Look at chapter 16, verse number 1. Then came he, this is talking about Paul and Silas now. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were Lystra and Iconium. Isn't that something? Paul and Barnabas go opposite directions, and Paul and Silas go over here to Derby and Lystra, and you know who he meets right there? Timothy. And now Timothy joins the Apostle Paul, and you know Timothy because of, uh, because of First and Second Timothy, and you know of his ministry at Ephesus, and you know uh, all the things that he did and what a blessing he was to the Apostle Paul. Isn't it amazing how God can use even stuff that's not perfect? And turn it around for his honor and glory. Because of all that, you know Timothy. And Timothy gets to serve God and go on for a wonderful, wonderful ministry. But it's not over there. You see, by the time you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who is now engaged in ministry. And Paul knows he's going to die. It's not long. He's going to be executed. This is the end of his ministry. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 11, bring the books, bring the cloak, and by the way, bring Mark, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. That's the guy that he said in Acts chapter 15, if he goes, I'm not going. And now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, bring him with you. I want to see him. He is profitable to me for the ministry. I have to wonder if somewhere in the back of Paul's mind was, and I'd kind of like to apologize for what I said in Acts chapter 15. But regardless of that, he said, before he said, I'm not taking him. He's too much of a liability. He's not going with me. And now he says, He's profitable for the ministry. What happened? Well, somewhere in there, God got a hold of Mark's heart and changed him from being unprofitable 
to profitable. Listen, just because somebody is not sitting there tonight doesn't mean they won't be next year at this time. You don't know what God's going to bring into their life and what's going to happen. They can go from completely unprofitable to being a Timothy or an Epaphroditus, and it can happen relatively quickly. There's a guy by the name of Onesimus. The whole little, the little page, the little book of Philemon that the Apostle Paul wrote was all about Onesimus, who was a slave that ran away from his master Philemon. And evidently, when he did, he didn't just run away. He destroyed a bunch of stuff and did a whole bunch of damage. And in all all of his running away, he ended up in Rome, where he meets Paul, who is, who is incarcerated, and yet Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord. He said, I've begotten him in my bonds. Onesimus gets saved, and he gets, listen, he gets really saved because he gets so saved, he wants to go home and make things right. That's pretty serious saved, amen? Some people get saved, but they don't want to have to fix stuff that happened before. Onesimus is so saved, he's going home to Philemon. And so Paul writes that letter in the inspiration of the Spirit of God and says, Philemon, I've met this guy Onesimus and begotten him in my bonds, and he's coming home. And in verse number 11 of the book of Philemon, he says this, He was unprofitable, but now is profitable to thee and to me. What happened? Well, Onesimus went from unprofitable and a troublemaker to somebody that God writes down in the Bible and says, don't forget this guy, he's now profitable. That's pretty important, wouldn't you say? Listen, just because somebody is not where they ought to be with God tonight, maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody you know that used to be in your pew, somebody who used to be here serving God and they're not anymore and tonight they're just sitting at home and they've gotten bitter and they've gotten sideways with God, that doesn't mean it's over. God didn't give up on them yet. So don't you give up on them yet. There could be a day not too far down the road when they're sitting right back in that pew and they are serving God again. Don't, don't handcuff God and think that just because somebody is not following Him right now that He can no longer work in their life. He most certainly can. I went on staff at my home church in Fairbanks, Alaska in 1987. I know some of you were not born yet. It's very sad. That was a long time ago. And, and I went on staff there at the church. And when I got there in 1987, a family had just left the church. They had, they had two boys in our Christian school. The oldest boy did something just incredibly stupid, got kicked out of the Christian school. And, the, and so the father was embarrassed. Uh, he was embarrassed that this had all happened. And so he took the whole family and left the church and they went elsewhere. And if you had asked anybody in 1987 what's going to happen to that family, they would have said it's going to start going downhill and it's going to go way downhill and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and it's going to end in destruction. And it did go downhill. And it got worse. And I was there at the church. This family had already gone. And one day the mother, the wife in the family, called me at the church. I did not know her. I had never met her personally because they had already left the church before I got there. Just months before I got there. She called me 
at the church one day and she said, I know that, that you don't know me and this and that. She said, but my, my oldest son is going to the University of Alaska and he's going to move out of the house this year and he's going to go live in the dorms. She said, I know what he's up to and he is going to ruin his life. Is there anything you can do? I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine what I would do. I, I don't know the kid. I don't, I, I don't know, but I, I, I'll try. I'll give it my best shot. Well, one of my students in the Christian school at that time was the best friend of the younger son. And so I talked to him and I said, what, you know, how can... How can we have an influence in this family's life? He said, well, you know, they like, to, they like to ski and they like to snowboard and this and that. We did a lot of that on the, on the weekends. And so uh, maybe, maybe we could do some of that. That's, that's perfect. And we started getting involved in some things and getting them involved in some things. And, and over the course of a year or so, the older son Start, decided to leave the dorms and move back to the house, which was a big victory. And then he started coming to church, the same church where he'd gotten kicked out of the school and all the embarrassment, all the shame. He started coming back, and he gets faithful, and he starts showing up for everything. And we have a missions conference, and he surrenders to serve the Lord, decides he wants to go to Bible college. The younger son, Oh, the younger son was going to the public high school. I mean, he was on a downhill trajectory. He was into all kinds of mess. And, and he decided to come to camp the year that he graduated. He showed up for camp. He gets saved. Starts coming to church. He surrenders to serve the Lord. Decides he's going off to Bible college. They both surrendered to the ministry. It was exciting. And they're, they, they, they're getting active and they're getting excited. Next thing you know, mom and dad and, the, and their little sister who was just a little tiny when they left start coming back and coming to church. And I remember the night that the father got up in the pulpit during testimony time and he said, we just want to come back and serve God here. Could we come back? It was like revival broke out. So of course you can come back. And he said, we never should have left in the first place. And we just want to come back and serve God. And they came back and they jumped in with both feet. Both boys trained for the ministry. Uh, one went as a missionary. One was a pastor for a while serving the Lord. And wonderful. They, they went to college with your pastor. The one that was on the mission field for 14 years. The younger one. Oh, it's probably been six, seven years ago. The church voted that he would be our next pastor. And so he came home from the mission field to be the assistant. And, and now he's preaching most of the services. And it's just going to be a short time. And, and that young man is going to be my pastor. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I'm telling you, if you had looked at the family in 1987 you would have said, they're done, they're finished, they're over. But God was not done. Amen. God was not done. And now that goofy kid who was messing up his life is, is a great preacher and a great pastor, and he is going to do a phenomenal job at Bible Baptist Church in Fairbanks, Alaska. I'd be honored to have him be my pastor. 
Listen, don't give up before God does. You don't, you don't know. So, oh, so-and-so left the church and they were mad and they were bitter. Well, that was six months ago. Give them a couple years, amen, of God working on their heart. You just never know. And when they decide to come back and get right, they ought to find you sitting here still serving God. Amen. Listen, don't you be gone when they show back up. You be here serving God so they have some place to come back to. Oh, there's Timothy's. Listen, if you're Timothy, please keep Timothying. Keep doing it. There's the Epaphroditus. If you're one of those, don't let Timothy's throw a wet blanket on you. You just stay excited. Amen. You just keep after them and keep them excited. But if you're one of those others, there, there is no point where you can't turn around and get back where you need to be. So it's been too long now. No, it hasn't. No. No, it was too ugly when I left. No, it wasn't. You come back and get right. Everything's going to be just fine. I promise you, everybody sitting here wants you here serving God. They do. Maybe tonight you know one of those others. Don't quit praying for them. God is not, as long as they're breathing, God is not done with them. And one of them might be your next pastor someday. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, some goofy kid that gets kicked out of the Christian school could be your next pastor someday. Because God can do anything. Let's not tie his hands. Let's expect him to do great things. If you're Timothy, keep it up. If you're an Epaphroditus, keep it up. If you're one of the others, come back and be a Timothy or an Epaphroditus. And if you know one of those others, pray for them. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are good always, all the time. And when we do stupid, foolish things, you're still good. God, tonight, I'm sure there are people standing here in this room right now that are Timothy's solid as a rock. God, help them to stay that way. I know, Lord, there are Epaphroditus here just excited excited to be in the house of God, excited to be saved from the mess they got saved from. Lord, keep that excitement just burning in their lives. Lord, there might be some standing here even now in this place tonight who really are so caught up in the things of the world that they don't have much interest in the things of God. Not very profitable to the work of God. Lord, tonight I pray they'd understand it doesn't have to end that way. All they need to do is just surrender to you. And they can be right back where they need to be. God, no doubt there are people standing here, families, who have one of those others in their family, in their circle of friends. It's gone off, made awful decisions, and they're not serving the Lord, and they're not doing what they ought to do. God, help us to be faithful to pray. Help us to be faithful to give them a place to come back to when they're ready to come back. Lord, maybe there's somebody here tonight who's lost without Christ. I pray they would understand that their only hope is to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. And we'll just thank you for all that you do in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano is going to play in just a minute. Maybe you need to do business with God tonight. 
Maybe you're here and you just need to say, Lord, help me not to help me not to become one of those others. Help me to stay faithful. Help me to stay on fire. Help me to stay excited about the things of God. Or maybe tonight God has put somebody on your heart. And as I was preaching, you got a picture of somebody in your mind tonight. Somebody who's not where they ought to be. Somebody who's not profitable for the work of God. Somebody you care about. Somebody you love. Would you pray for them tonight? Pray for them that God would get a hold of their heart. And that they would come back and serve him. As the piano plays, this invitation is open for you. Why don't you come tonight? Why don't you come and pray and just ask God to intervene in those situations? I promise you, he is more interested in them serving him than you are. You need to pray. You need to be what you should be so that when they do come back, they'll find you faithful and they can just join hands with you and go on and serve the Savior. As he plays, listen, there are people coming. Don't wait. There are people coming. Join them. Come tonight and do business with God. Some of you have prayed for somebody for a long, long time. Listen, don't give up now. They might be right on the verge, right on the verge of getting right with God. Right on the verge of coming back to where they need to be. Stay faithful. Keep praying. I promise you God will honor it over time. Pastor.